Okay, well, two weeks ago, I started a little uh, series. Uh, it wasn't a series, it was just two weeks, uh, called The Land Between, and it's really captivated a number of you, and it works at so many levels, and if you've missed it, please uh, do download it off, uh, or, or look at it on our podcast or videocasts, it's there to be seen, and I actually thought it was going to be two weeks, but, but my, my vision was too small. I suddenly realized, even as I was preaching last week, it was funny, I, I really had it pretty clear in my mind what I thought God had said, but I realized that there needed to be a third week because I was missing something absolutely crucial and something very close to God's heart. So uh, that really is, is what I want to do this week before we, we move on to, to, to our new pastures. So the land between, uh, if you followed it, if you've been listening, and, and I must say welcome to all those of you who listen on our podcast. Uh, we were staggered to learn this week that in September alone we had 1,800 people uh, download our podcasts, uh, 500 in North America. It, it's, we're just a little church at the end of an industrial state. I mean, f- come on. I mean, this is just crazy. But uh, so welcome you guys. May God bless you as we preach and share God's word. But you will know that in talking about the land between, we were really talking about that occasion between when, when God led the Israelites out of Egypt, you know, the Exodus as it's known as, and, and took them through the desert en route to the promised land. And we've been talking about that journey, that land between, that place between the two, where, where, where really faith can either founder or flourish. The land between is a challenging place. It is a place where we can give up on God, where we can say, ah, oh, forget it, whatever. You're not doing what I want you to do. You're not being the God I thought you were. Or faith can flourish, and of course, the very... You know, we, we have a little inside joke in the vineyard. We've had it for, you know, some 25 years. And we say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It's about taking risks. It's about stepping outside of our comfort zone in order to, to see just what God can do or wants to do or to follow him into places. And so, so the, our faith is exercised in the land between. It, we, we need to trust God. And I shared last week, and some of you were kind enough to say thank you for that. That was very helpful to me. And I said about, a little bit about my journey of this last couple of years, how I, again, I felt I'd done enough. I'd, well, it, didn't, it, wasn't in a, it wasn't like, I've done enough. What do you think? It was more like I'm, I'm played out again, you know. And, uh, and yet God just comes and, and woos you and encourages you just like you would a child who was, had a bit of a bad day at school or something and you come alongside as a parent or guardian or something and you, you comfort that child and you, you, you get them to go again and a good coach does that with his team. I'm sure that's what's happening amidst all the reflection and the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth in, in, in the England rugby team you know, and the rest. But there's going to be that encouragement. We will go again. We will go again. We will go again. And God does that. So faith can founder or flourish. And I said last week, I, I said, you know, you know, for all its challenges and for all its difficulties, the land between is a place of God's provision, a place where you see God do miraculous things. It's a place of God's protection, where he keeps you from the worst excesses. And, and I, I read Psalm 34 where it's, the psalmist says, you know, God delivered me from all our fears. And generally speaking, our fears are always worse than the reality, aren't they? You know, what we, we think might happen is actually worse than actually what does happen. But no matter, God delivers us from all our fears. He goes the extra step. And then we said that God in the desert place presences himself. 
You know, it's all too easy when things are going well and wonderfully just to kind of bundle up God in the general good feeling of the good times of the experience. But, but in that desert place where stuff is peered back and it feels as if we're laid bare before God and we're just, it's kind of pared down to the very sort of bare minimum, that's the place that suddenly God seems larger. God seems bigger. God seems greater. And we feel more dependent and seek him, and seek him out. So this place, this land between this desert place is a wonderful place where we can see our faith bolstered and built up. And that is always a good thing. So the thing that came to my mind as I was preaching last week, and I've said to the Lord, I'm sorry, of course, how did I miss that, is this, this other thing. In the desert, God takes us and turns us into the people of God. The people of God. And we're going to just read a little passage here which summarizes it beautifully out of Isaiah 43. Uh, follow with me with your, in your Bibles or smart devices, or it'll come up on the screen too. Psalm 43, whoops, verses, uh, bear with me, verses 16 to 21. And it says this This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise." Do you know, if you needed a little homework, why not dig into those middle chapters, those 40s and some of Isaiah? They are full of inspiration, full of comfort, full of challenge, but they speak very strongly of God's atoning work, his rescuing work, and our place in his heart, and what he has, the lengths to which he's gone to us. So this, is, this event that the prophet Isaiah is referring to here, of course, is, is the exodus. It begins with a reference to making a way through the sea. Of course, that was that great adventure, that, that extraordinary event when God parted the Red Sea and led the, the Hebrew slaves, as they were, were, they were then, through on dry land to the other side. He talks about how he destroyed those who pursued them, e Egypt's commanders and charioteers and the rest. They were destroyed in that event. They were snuffed out like a candle, he says. And then it speaks to the kind of things that have been going through the minds of the people in the desert. He says, forget the former things. Do not keep harking back to the way it was. Do not keep harking back to the life you had, the security you had in slavery. And there is a security in slavery. Do not look back. Forget the former things, he said. Because, God says, I am doing a new thing and now it springs up. I tell you, that excites me. 
Not just God doing a new thing, but to be alive as a Christian at a time when God is doing something new that is springing up. You know, we are privileged as God's people. We are privileged to be in a season when God is doing a new thing. Some of us know what I'm talking about. Others have still got to catch up, but we will all catch up. We will all see it. God is doing a new thing because God is doing it, and you cannot miss that. When God begins to work transformation, when God sends revival, as some of the old-time people used to call it, the old Pentecostals, when God sends his spirit and revives a nation, even the secular organizations begin to take note. Even secular organizations begin to take note. And mark my words, what's happening in our little neck of the woods, just this little thing that's going on here down the end of it, that is being noted. That is being mentioned. That is being talked about amongst secular organizations. And it's good. It's good. He goes on and he says, you know, I am giving drink to my people. I am feeding and providing for my people. This people I have formed. This people I have formed. The peop- that, that little expression there talks about God's creative power amongst a bunch of people. We're going to look at a a New Testament reference in 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 just a moment, but but just bear in mind, these people were slaves. Slaves have no identity. They might have a name, a Christian name. They don't have a passport. They have no choice. They're not free to come and go. They can't pop over to Starbucks for a coffee with their mates on a day off. There is no day off. Slaves are chattels. They are goods. And in this day and age, today, as well as in these biblical days and age, goods are bought and sold. Goods are bought and sold. A slave has no identity as a person, as a human being. Slaves have no dignity. If they've got a good master, they may have or they may not have. It's totally at the whim of the master. Slaves have no dignity and slaves have no destiny. But this is a people... These Hebrew slaves, these pyramid builders, these are a people with destiny. But they don't know it. You see, they're looking back. They're just looking, oh, thank God we got, out of, got away from, 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 from the Egyptians. They would have slaughtered us. Oh, my gosh, if I had to go back, my master would have, oh, I don't even want to think about it. Makes me feel sick of the stomach. But these people are brought out of slavery for a purpose, to be crafted into the people of God, to become something so much more. And as I've said two or three times already in my previous sermons, God turns slaves into sons, sons and daughters, precious ones, precious ones. But the wonderful, though this Exodus story is, You know, Hollywood, we've mentioned Hollywood today already, you know, Hollywood makes films about such things, but actually, as great as it all is, there is a greater exodus, a greater exodus, and that's the exodus I want to talk about today. Turn with me, if you will, or watch it on the screen or your smart device, to 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. And this is St. Peter, the Apostle Peter speaking. Again, a passage that, that really deserves more time, but if you want to do some homework, read through. You will enjoy and appreciate and understand 
Peter's uh, talking of the cornerstone. We've started singing that lovely song, Cornerstone, prior to this. But he comes in verse 9 to the point of his, his, his talk, his sermon. He says this, but you, and he's talking to Christians, Jews and Gentiles, not just the Hebrews or the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham. Now he says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are the people of God, Jew and Gentile. It's not that God is looking for sons and daughters, and, and, and I won't say we've spent too much time over the last 10, 15 years talking about becoming God's son and or daughter, or God being our father, uh, there was such an imbalance. There was such a kind of corrective that was needed. We needed to spend more time considering God as our father. God as our father. It's still a challenge for many today because the whole image, the model of fatherhood in our culture and society has become so fragmented and so disconnected and so disjointed. We need to spend time speaking and teaching of such things. But it's not just that. What God was looking for, and he spoke through his prophet Isaiah, was a people, God's own people. And that's what Peter says here. He says, I have made you, God, you are God's special possession. We are God's people. We are connected in ways that we do not know of and we may not even like. You may have the kind of faith at the moment that, that is really quite personal. God bless you. It seemed to be a British thing. Yeah, I believe in God. It's very personal, though. You know, God bless you. It cannot stay in that place. There needs to be that personal connection. We need to all have that, that first-hand relationship, that connection with God our Father. As I said last week, the late David Duplessis, a great sort of Pentecostal bishop, said, God has no grandsons. Just because your dad, your mom, or your auntie, or your granny was a Christian doesn't mean to say that you're a Christian. You may have been born into a Christian family. That, that's not what cuts it. It's about you having that one-on-one -on -one relationship, that one-to-one -one relationship with, with God our Father. But the purpose of all that is to bring us into family connectedness with one another. We're all in this together. Bit of a cliche, didn't, uh, I think that's been used by politicians, God bless them. We're all in this together. But there is nothing truer than that, which is true of the Christian church, we are all together in him. And as the people of God, we are not just his special possession, Rather like, rather like Isaiah, Peter seems to draw inspiration from that. He says, you were once in darkness, but now you're in his light. You were once not a people. You existed. You had connectedness, family, national, whatever. But you were not a people in the, God, in the way God looks for it. He says, you were not a people, but now you are a people. 
You are the people of God, his special possession. You're special. You're special to him. And finally, as if to kind of press that point home, Peter says, once you had not received mercy, you are under judgment. You are under sentence of law. You had sinned against God. You had not lived to his standards. You'd actually disappointed yourself, some of you, some of us, me. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And in that, Peter gets to the very nub of it. That's where Peter says, in the cross of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, in the cross of Jesus Christ, that's where that greater exodus takes place. We pass from darkness into light. It's that place which, where God extends the invitation, not just to a Hebrew slave nation, but to everyone who will turn to him, will turn to his son, will call upon his name and say, Jesus, I may not understand it all, but I know that I've wronged you. I know I have sinned. Forgive me, Lord, and count me in as one of your family. It's the first step is as simple as that. Yes, it's the first of many steps, of course. But actually, Christ has done it. That's why he is worthy of all praise and glory, because Christ has done it. Give him a clap. God has made us this special possession. And as the people of God, whatever agendas, what is is ever in your bucket list, funnily enough, Liz and I, when we were on holiday this year, we went to go for a little walk and uh, somebody had dropped a little notebook, a very nice little notebook. And uh, I opened up the first page to see if there was a name or address and it said, my bucket list. I'm not going to tell you what was on that bucket list. You don't want to know, it's not edifying. Really, it was rather interesting. It was a kind of catalogue of, you could almost say, modern man wrote the bucket list. And there was all sorts of things that, quite frankly, I'm not even, it would be wrong to repeat. It's sad. But whatever, whatever is on your bucket list, whatever you have in mind to do, and it's probably good, and if you work hard and commit and are willing to make the sacrifices, God bless you, may it come to pass. But the reality is God has given his people a unified purpose. The first thing is to be a people of praise. We are to declare God's praises. And that was exactly what Isaiah said, wasn't it, about the people of God. He said... You know, the Lord spoke to Isaiah, I have formed you, I have made you as a people to declare my praises. We are those who don't stay silent. We are those for whom faith cannot just be personal. It's something we need to shout from the rooftops. We are to declare, we have this unified purpose and we are to declare God's praises, to demonstrate God's love, demonstrate being the operative word. And I love what this church is growing into. I love the things that you keep, the ideas that you keep having, the, the, the passions that keep seem, seemingly springing up amongst us. The vision that we share to make known Christ, 
to make known his love, his victory, and to model it. You see, it's only when you model it that people can see what it is. I was, I was reflecting apropos of absolutely nothing this morning. And I don't want to get down on young, young men, but I, I was a young man. Well, I still am, actually. But <laughs> I mustn't start talking like some old codger, you know. But, you know, I had the gift of the gab when I was a young man. In fact, many of you started this journey purely on my gift of the gab, you know. I hadn't done anything. But older men know that actually it's, it's actions that count. You know, it really is actions. And it's not just about carrying a faith, believing in God, believing in Christ, and, and saying, I believe in these things. That's great. But as the Apostle James says, now show me your works. Show me what that means. And as the people of God, we can demonstrate, we can model to society what, what a transformed life looks like. Okay, some days are better than others, but corporately together, we can begin to model the kingdom of God. We can say, you know what I'm talking about? It's important that you hear what I'm saying because God's told me to tell you this. But at the same time, come and see. Come and see. Yeah, come here and see what God in, God's love in action looks like, what compassion looks like, what a concern for justice looks like. Come and see. It's not just good words. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said just, and he was a Christian, he said, poor talkative little Christianity. You know, it is a time for deeds, not just words. The world needs to see what Christ looks like, what his body looks like, what the kingdom of God looks like. So where does that leave us today? Well, of course, I'm, I've been talking about phase two a lot recently, and that's right, we're refocusing phase two. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to show you the video this week, but in talking to the staff, we did feel that next Sunday we'll do what we do from time to time, very occasion, we're going to have a special offering for phase two. We're at an exciting time. As you know, we've bought the building next door. We are looking to raise the money. We need about another 400,000 pounds to turn the inside into a space, a turn of space into a place where Jesus reigns. And, and we're looking forward to that. And so next Sunday, we're going to have a, a special offering at the end of the service where we, we take up pledges and offerings just so that we can get this done. This week, met with the architect. It was exciting. And he, he said, I've just finished all the plans, and I'm sending them off for tender. So it's gone out for tender this weekend. So there's three companies that will be considering that and drawing up their proposals and submitting that, hopefully by the end of October, end of this month. And then the board will make a decision, and if we've got the money, we will be able to proceed. And that will be exciting. And I would love it. I would love it. I can't say that it'll happen. It seems a lot of ifs and buts. But wouldn't it be wonderful to celebrate Easter in our new building? Wouldn't that be incredible? That seems like a dream to me now. But I have to, I have to say, you know, God, you brought us this far. But we are a people at this time whom God is calling to embrace each other and him, to hold tight to him, to expect his presence, his protection, his provision, and certainly God has protected us in the last few months with some of the things that have been thrown up over this, this whole deal. 
But in this, in this time and this season, you know, God has called us to be together and to work together and to embrace a unified purpose. For some of you, that's easier than others. But we need to embrace the responsibility, indeed the privilege that is ours as the people of God. And I want to reassure you at this point, I'm going to do that by showing you just 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, and then bringing this thing home. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, when they were in an occasion where they were needing a unified purpose to, to alleviate suffering in, in the wider church, and he was encouraging them to make sacrifices to give, he says this. He says, you know, basically he said before, I'm sorry if I've been banging on about this, but he says, you know, listen, understand what this is. Verse 13, he says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed. And I know that conversation. I mean, Fliss and I have it. Can we give more? Can we give more? When I look at, we look at our bank statement every month and, you know, we're, we're giving. Can we give more? Beginning to feel hard-pressed. But Paul says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. And I spoke about this right at the very beginning when we set off on this grand adventure together. I said, listen, this isn't down to the, the rich people to pay for or the poor people. What God desires is equality. So that rich and poor, whatever our resources, prays about this, thinks about this, and looks to make a sacrifice, not just sort of you know, reach into their pocket and give small change. I was reading the Times color supplement, talk about small change, uh, yesterday, and there's this interview with Alan Sugar. Did anybody see that? One or two saw it. And uh, the interviewer said, how rich are you? Well, what a brazen question, you know. How rich are you? And, and, and uh, I think she said to him, I don't think he volunteered it, she said, if you went into a bank and handed a cheque for 100 million pounds across the counter, would they cash it? And he said, yes, they would. You mean that's your small change? You got 100? I mean, and then she sort of said, well, you know, shouldn't it be invested? He said, with the amount of money I have got, why bother? Now that is, anybody got 100 million, by the way? I want to help you with that burden, you know. <laughs> so we're not asking, we're not asking just that you reach into your pocket and dig out a little bit of surplus, but rich or poor, young or old, we're asking that you understand that what God is calling us to do is to join together a unified purpose to embrace the vision that he has given us to build this sort of family care center as a blessing and as a witness to God to expand the physical presence and ability that we have to serve others in this city and region and beyond. And to find a place in our hearts for the things that keep him at wake at night, those that are still lost, still in darkness, still living without purpose, still not a people, still not knowing mercy, those for whom their daily grind 
in the case of many of our fee clients, is purely being consumed by getting through today. The young mums, single mums many, who are struggling to clothe their kids. To, in this day and age, in this country, the families who are struggling and suffering just trying to get by. Is that right, Heather? Heather heads up our, our, our baby and toddler type of uh, our young family thing. And it makes me weep. I see these people. I come to work on a Monday morning. If you've ever got a little time, come down on a Monday morning. Meet some of the people. If we're not going to care for them, who is? The government. Social services. Well, they probably bought it on themselves. I've heard it all. Friends have said things that to me. But the reality is, you know, God loved us when we were unlovable. God sent his son to save us when we really were his enemies. And God rescued us, called us son, called us daughter, and made us his people, a special possession. We've got to share that. That's too good to keep to yourself. We've got to share that. Okay. Let's stand. Let's pray. Let's have the worship team back up. Thank you. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And you and I have the awesome privilege of being part of it. What a time to be a Christian. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for calling us your son, your daughter. Thank you, Lord, for making us a people. Thank you for giving us that unified purpose. Yes, to make Christ known. Yes, to model your kingdom. But yes, Lord God, to worship you and to sing your praises. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord.